So you ever want to accomplish something in life, but you didn't think you had the power to pull it off? I'm not talking so much about the miracles that we've been studying over these last couple of weeks that Jesus has been performing. Certainly, we all lack the power to instantly heal a loved one from whatever sickness they may be dealing with or to just snap our fingers and all of a sudden a relationship is made, made whole and made right again. I mean, have you ever wanted to accomplish a goal? Or you wanted to see something happen in your family or your job and you didn't think you had a voice in the matter? Maybe that's even a way of thinking of it. I definitely know a little something about that because I am the youngest by far in my family. And so I spent many years like fighting for a voice at the table, if you will. In today's story, we're going to still be looking at the idea of power that Jesus displays. But it's not so much a direct display of power. Jesus isn't dropping a hocus-pocus moment on somebody. He's not healing somebody or exercising somebody or raising somebody from the dead. But he still is, even in this scene, a person of power. And now he demonstrates a trait, a character trait that we can emulate so that we can have power in our own lives. The story comes out of Matthew 21, verses 1 through 11. When they had come near Jerusalem and had reached Bethpage, At the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go into the village ahead of you, and immediately you will find a donkey tied and a colt with her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, just say this, The Lord needs them, and he will send them immediately. This took place to fulfill what had been spoken through the prophet, saying, Tell the daughter of Zion, Look, your king is coming to you, humble and mounted on a donkey, and on a colt, the foal of a donkey. The disciples went and did as Jesus had directed them. They brought the donkey and the colt and put their cloaks on them, and he sat on them. The very large crowd spread their cloaks on the road, and others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. The crowds that went ahead of him and that followed were shouting, Hosanna to the Son of David! Blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord! Hosanna in the highest heaven! When he entered Jerusalem, the whole city was in turmoil, asking, Who is this? The crowds were saying, This is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth in Galilee. And before we dive into the story too much, I want to allow a bit of a caveat here. If you got excited by my intro about the idea of having power, like I'm sending you on a pastorally endorsed power trip, then hold your hee-haws just a little bit. Because maybe you have experienced or that life has shown you that there's two types of power people in the world. The first off, there's the loud and the proud, the ones who are throwing their weight or their title around at every chance they get. They show their power with a loud, booming voice and and taking up a lot of presence. And it's the kind of power that can scare a 10-year-old into the bathroom. But here's the thing. People who act like that usually make a 30, 40-year-old just laugh and feel sorry for them. We see this in martial arts a lot and in other arenas, I'm sure, but it's, it's this idea of sophomoric ability. It's the ones who have maybe had a few months of training, they've learned a couple of moves and all of a sudden they think they're Bruce Lee and they got to just show off to everybody. Walking, especially down the halls of, of high school and, and stuff like that. They're probably even starting a few fights or getting involved in fights that they have no business getting involved in. And those with many years, many even decades of training under their belt, they fall into type two, those with humble power. 
those who have no need to flaunt their experience or their expertise with, with others. They'll be the first ones to help somebody out, to use their expertise to build somebody else up. They'll never show you their multi-striped black belt. In fact, at the school that my son is studying at, for many years, the instructors didn't even wear their belts because it, was, it wasn't about them. It was about the students and their accomplishments with their belts. But they were, they were the ones you never wanted to have to face off with. Jesus is the ultimate display of humble power. Now, to be sure, like we talked about last week, he is king. He is not some two-bit, piddly person here. In fact, as Matthew is quoting Zechariah in Zechariah 9.9, he says, look, your king is coming. Your king is coming. The people are shouting, son of David. They're giving him that title. That was a title for the expected Messiah. They're expecting power out of this man. Later on in Matthew's gospel, actually just after the episode that we're reading now, Jesus clears out the temple and he calls it, he says, my house will be called a house of prayer. My house. Now it was well understood the temple was God's house. How is a person, a human being, going to call God's house my house? And while Jesus is humble about his role, as we'll see, he isn't modest about his title. He makes his entrance. This is the passage that is traditionally um, for Palm Sunday, which is you know, Jesus' triumphal entry into Jerusalem. He makes his entrance right past the temple in front of the Pharisees who were always confrontational with him. In his, and now Jesus is being confrontational with them, calling them to a decision, calling us to a decision. Even today, crown me or kill me. Which one? How does this idea match, this confrontational nature match with Jesus' humility? Well, let me give you a few reminders of the scene that is taking place. If you were to see it visually, it would probably make a little bit more sense. We have Jesus entering in past the temple, entering the city on a donkey. Now, kings or warriors that were coming in from victory would be riding on horseback, riding on a war horse. Servants came, rode on donkeys. You ride a donkey into battle, you're just asking to get slaughtered. Another spot where Matthew, I said, is quoting Zechariah 9.9, prophecy that had happened before, but he doesn't quote the whole thing in this passage. To quote it fully, or by not quoting the whole thing, he emphasizes Jesus' humility. Because the whole passage reads like this. Rejoice greatly, O daughter Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter Jerusalem. Lo, your king comes to you. Triumphant and victorious is he. Humble and riding on a donkey, on a colt, on the foal of a donkey. There's that part that Matthew sort of edited out to emphasize Jesus' humility. Hum, uh, triumphant and victorious is he. Later on uh, in the week, Jesus is going to be with his disciples at the Last Supper. We see in John 13, 4, 5, what that scene looks like. Jesus got up from the table, took off his outer robe, and tied a towel around himself. Then he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel that was tied around him. That act, washing somebody's feet 
especially in a culture where you are wearing sandals and there's dust and grime and all that sort of stuff. That was a servant's job. Ultimately, we're going to see Jesus' characteristic humility in the Garden of Gethsemane. In Matthew 26, 39, as Easter gets closer and closer and starts getting down to the minutes. We see it in that chapter. My father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. Yet not what I want, but what you want. Humility is making this situation look more grim for Jesus with each passing second. But the fact is, nothing made Jesus do any of this. Nothing merited Jesus confronting Jerusalem, especially when he knew it was going to end very, very badly for him. I mean, if any of us here in the 21st century were there at that festival, and it was a big festival, probably the biggest one of the year, we probably would have gone from crown him to kill him just as fast as anybody. And the, the same crowd that was shouting crown him eventually ends up shouting kill him. So how can I say this? Here's the fact. Jesus went to the cross on Good Friday for our sin just as much as for their sin. Tim Keller, when he was preaching on this similar passage, he says, you want the gospel in a nutshell? Here it is. Sin is the idea of the servant putting themselves in the place of the king. I've got it all figured out. I'm the master of my destiny. I'm the one who controls my fate. Salvation is the king putting himself in the place of the servant. Saying, you deserve to be on the cross. You deserve the penalty for sin. I will take your place. Jesus didn't just display humility for PR's sake. Murray had said earlier, when Jesus is celebrating the last supper with his disciples in John 13. The story continues. After he, has been, after he has washed his disciples' feet, we read in John 13, 15, For I have set you an example that you should also do as I have done for you. If you want some of that real humble power in your life, and yes, the two do go together, that doesn't require flaunting it around, but that rests secure in any circumstance, then it begs the question, how do we follow Jesus' example and practice humility? Well, we often, at this point, pastors around the world and throughout history quote Rick Warren with a line that is is a very good concept that says, humility is not thinking less of yourself, it's thinking of yourself less. It's not going around saying, I'm a nobody, I'm a nobody. It's thinking about other people instead of thinking about yourself. It's a good concept. It's a helpful quote. Here's the thing. We often attribute it to C.S. Lewis. And C.S. Lewis did speak about humility in uh, Mere Christianity. And while we we certainly like Rick Warren's line, C.S. Lewis's quote is a much harder pill to swallow. He says, if anyone would like to acquire humility, I can tell him the first step to realize that he is proud. Nothing, whatever can be done before it. If you think you are not conceited, it means you are very conceited indeed. That is a tough pill to swallow. Maybe you've heard the irony of somebody who says, I'm the most humble person in the world. Doesn't really carry a whole lot of weight, does it? So, 
what really what is the secret sauce to practicing humility to having that be a character that defines us here's the trick when our identity is tied to Jesus instead of to us humility becomes easier i don't have to prove myself if my identity is tied to him i don't have to strut my stuff i don't have to make myself look good if my identity is tied to him because he's already proven himself. I already get, when I do this, I already get that my greatest gift is a relationship with God. And I don't deserve the credit for that. So what do I have to brag about? Well, if you are in the mood for bragging about something, Paul still gives us a good example, gives us an opportunity to get our brag on a little bit. He says in Galatians 6, 14, he says this, May I never boast of anything except the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. My friends, Jesus' power was displayed not in spite of his humility, but through his humility. And when we follow that example, it becomes a game changer because it stops being about us and we're free to make the day about something bigger about a mission bigger than ourselves. So this week, make this a a theme in your prayer life. Jesus is Lord. Jesus is King. Jesus is all-powerful. We talked last week about the idea of adding worship or adoration into our prayers as a way of recognizing who it is that we pray for. Here's a specific chance to practice that idea. Now, prayerfully, God never asks us to humble ourselves even to death on a cross, as Paul writes about Jesus doing in Philippians 2. But when we humble ourselves, we can see the power of his death bring us to life. Let's pray together. Jesus, thank you for being an example of how power and humility can go together. Help us to live that out. Help humility be a part of our character. Help us to find our identity in you so that we don't have to try and flaunt our resume or our accomplishments or our strength or power. In all of this, help us bring glory to you and grow our relationship with you, we pray. Amen.